Hi everyone, welcome to Beyond the Benchmark, the EFG podcast. My name is Moe Zafzal, I'm the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG. Uh, so today we have a very special podcast with Jonathan Rowitz. Jonathan Rowitz runs global equities for us at uh, EFG. Jonathan, welcome. Thanks Moe, it's nice to be back. What we thought we would do today was do a bit of a deeper dive on artificial intelligence and um, and a little interesting segment at the end. We'll talk about the Vision Pro uh, and the headset and, um, uh, and, and what that might mean for the state of technology in you know, 5, 10, 15 years' time. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that segment at the end because I think it's, uh, it is particularly interesting given the launch earlier, earlier this year. So, um, Jonathan, let's start, I guess, with, with AI. You know, what is the kind of significance of it? Obviously, um, you know, in our kind of Google search work, you know, it's up there as being the most popular search term out there at the moment. Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, uh, buzz around it. Uh, I did a, a Gamma Foundation, uh, in fact, two Gamma Foundation um, speeches on it as well. So obviously, there's a lot of interest in it. But I, th- I, I thought we would do a bit of a deeper dive in terms of what it actually means from a from a um, structural perspective. But let's start with uh, AI in simple terms and its significance. Yeah, I mean, I think that anybody who's spent even 20 or 30 minutes playing with ChatGPT starts realizing how creative it is. And I think the way to think about it is if you think of the evolution of human communication, maybe just particularly focusing on written communication, you know, you really have three phases. You have the creation of the, the content, you have the duplication of it, and then you have the distribution of it. And if you think about... F- what phases that's gone through really you know duplication was completely revolutionized when we had the printing press because we stopped having people having to hand write down documents and we could just duplicate you know very easily very low cost using the printing press and then for a very long time we basically distributed all the printed material you know in the form of newspapers and books etc and then when the internet came along essentially that revolutionized distribution because the cost of distribution went to almost zero and i think that what AI looks like it could be is a revolution in the creation of content, in the creation of written material, amongst other things, and where the, the cost of creation goes to zero, because ChatGPT can you know, write you anything you want. It can do poetry, it can do reports, it can write you essays. So that's, a, you know, that's really a very, very, potentially very, very big um, impact um, on, on society as a whole when we can start producing content at zero cost. Now, it doesn't only actually apply to written material. We've seen that, that, you know, you can get it to create images, you can get it to create video. And for me, what one of the most amazing things that I've seen is actually that it can create computer code. So you can sit there and tell it, I need a program to do X, Y, and Z, and suddenly it writes you code. So the kind of the kind of cost savings and time savings and creativity that AI looks like it could unleash is very, very significant. It's very early days, and there's a lot of refinement that needs to happen. But, you know, these revolutions take multiple decades. And I think we've just seen the beginning of it. You can't help thinking that we don't necessarily know who the big winners and losers are, probably at least for another five or ten years. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of noise in the marketplace where companies suddenly just changing their name and putting AI and expect their valuation to be, you know, moving higher. And I think that's there's going to be a lot of nonsense that comes with it. Um, but I think as we did saw with the internet, sort of within five years, ten years, we'll really see where you know where the winners um you know appear so in terms of identifying which sectors and part of the food chain with respect to ai maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, you know 
the the areas within the food chain of, of mm. AI. Yeah, I mean, I think I think your point about you know the amount of experimentation and speculation that that occurs in these big change change points is very valid, and that's why actually breaking things down and trying to work out where the risk lies and being very careful there uh, is very important. So if we think about what does it really take to have a, a an application or a chat GPT like application, really at the base level, the thing you need is hardware. So you need semiconductors that can operate fast enough to basically train these models on large, large, large quantities of data. And then you need semiconductors to then do what they call inference. So when you put in a query on ChatGPT, the model's got to run and, and work out what the output should be. So that's very, very hardware intensive. It requires a lot of processes. It requires a lot of memory. In fact, there's, you know, it's what's really happening is that this application's creating a whole new way of computing. Um, you know, I was listening to um, NVIDIA's CEO, Jensen Wong, who's talking about um, how he thinks computing is going to evolve. And essentially, for a long time, we've been running CPUs and servers. Individual servers have been perfectly capable of doing everything we needed them to do. But what's happening is with the volume of data and the, the intensity of processing power, we're actually moving to a new computer uh, paradigm, which is actually going to be a data center paradigm, that running these queries and running these models is going to take a whole data center. So that's a new level of sophistication in software, uh, sorry, in hardware that's going going to be required to do all this. So that value chain is actually uh, broken down into a few a few stages. So you have you have semiconductor equipment manufacturers which basically produce the very sophisticated um, let's say machinery that allows you to produce semiconductors. And then semiconductors, the, the, that value chain split into two, which is essentially people who just design semiconductors. So you know in the you know in the first example be people like ASML and the second example will be people like Nvidia so ASML just produces the machinery Nvidia you know designs chips but it doesn't man manufacture the chips but somebody does manufacture the chips and that's a company like TSMC which are actually foundries which take designs in and then mass produce these chips at scale and low cost so those three are super important um, in the value chain. Um, so that's the hardware component. Um, and that we actually think, if we think about investing in AI, that's actually a pretty certain part of the value chain to bet, because to bet in, because we know no matter what kind of applications win or not, we know the hardware is going to be required. And there's, it's very obvious in that value chain who's got competitive advantage, who can produce the kind of things that are going to be required to do this. To do this. So it's a fairly low-risk part of the value chain. The next, um, the next part is that once you've produced these chips and produced these server farms, somebody has to run all that infrastructure. So somebody has to have, you know, a whole lot of data centers running all the layers of software so that you can actually, you know, experiment with a new model, get a model to, to work, and then run that model. And the, the, the people that are best set up to do that are really the big cloud providers. And, the, and you know, they've, they are running the largest data centers in the world already. Now, they actually might move up the value chain because we've already seen those kind of companies develop their own chips because they realize that you need to have very specialized hardware in order to do this. And so they might be a player further up as well. Um, but they're certainly in the, inf in the, in the infrastructure layer, uh, very, um, very well positioned to take um, or create value in this space. Further down, it gets a bit harder because 
you know, there, there, there are a whole bunch of companies developing applications. So, you know, ChatGPT is a perfect example of that. They developed this, this text search application. You've got Google doing its own thing with Bard. Um, you know, you've got companies like Adobe doing Firefly, which is image generation. And that space, it's a lot harder to work out who's actually going to capture the most market share, who's going to come up with a killer app, um, because there's a lot more potential. Um, you know, a lot more potential experimentation and a lot more uncertainty as to the exact use cases that's going to get mass adoption. So all of those three layers from hardware to infrastructure to applications are interesting, but the risk lies further down the chain. Mm. So um, recently Jensen uh, was, who's the CEO of NVIDIA, he challenged the idea of Moore's Law, i.e. we actually don't need as fast a uh, you know, CPUs and processors, which was you know, the foundation of Moore's Law. But now computers that are parallel processing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, alongside rather than a single chip, mm -hmm. maybe just describe where that is slightly different or, or not even slightly, it's very different mm -hmm. to the old way of working things when it comes to semiconductors. Yeah, I mean, it, it, CPUs generally, which is the most common thing that all of us use running Office or running Windows or you know even in our even in our phones, are essentially uh, microprocessors that process one thing at a time. So, you know, data comes in, it gets calculated, computes, and it moves out, and that's good enough for the applications that we've got um, going now. But what 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 AI requires is a huge amount of data and a huge amount of calculations because. Essentially, what AI is built on is um, these things called large language models or transformer models, which are essentially looking at the, the relationships between things and relationships between, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of data points. And in order to process that and a train a model and then even more importantly, run a model in real time so that when you punch in the, the search term on ChatGPT, you get an answer quickly, you require a whole different kind of processing. And what, what, what's required there is really splitting up a, a task into a number of different tasks that are all processed at the same time. So not one after the other, all in, all in parallel. And that requires a whole new processor called the GPU. I think the other thing I would say is that it's, it's actually more than the processor because as I mentioned before, what's actually required to do this is a whole data center. So what you need is you need, a pro you need these processes, you need actually more than one, you need many, and you need them all to be linked. And then on top of these processes, you actually need a whole library of software that allows people to program and create applications above it. So we talked about the, the framework to look at AI. We talked about the value chain from an investor's perspective and company perspective and technology perspective. What about the use cases? You know, we... Um, we see use cases, I guess, at two layers, right? We see them at the business layer, and then we see them at the consumer layer. And obviously, someone like a chat GPT that helps your, you know, helps you to write love poems to your wife, <laughs> right? Um, is a is a is a great tool. Call it a consumer layer, mm -hmm. but its applications are, are even more um, value added in the business layer than it is necessarily in the consumer layer. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, that's absolutely right. So if you look at the business layer alone and you think about what businesses do in, in, in virtually every element of what businesses do, you can actually find applications for this. So if we just think about selling, um, ChatGPT can look at your customer database, your previous customer interactions, your previous customer sales, and it can work out, it can on the fly create very customized marketing material that allows salespeople to 
sell far better than they did before. So it can create the content, very smart content, and allow you to really, really deal well with your, 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 your new customers. On the back end, you know, ChatGPT has the well, not ChatGPT, large language models have the ability to essentially service customers. So if you imagine um, you, you phone into a call center and you know you identify as a customer, the model knows everything about you that you've given the company. The model, when the model listens to what question you ask it, it thinks of all the other questions that anybody else has ever asked, asked it. It knows what the right answer is and it, and it helps you out straight away. So it's not like, you know, when you talk to sometimes when you phone up call centers, the person you ask puts you on hold for 30 minutes and then they go and ask somebody in the back what mm-hmm. the real answer to the question is. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing will just disappear mm-hmm. because the model will know the answer straight away, the same way ChatGPT sort of knows things straight away of, uh, from its, its learning. So th- just those two things are massively beneficial in terms of cost savings and effectiveness uh, and just in terms of engaging with customers. I think another uh, a really uh, interesting um, business application is that if you think about all the content being created on social media, or th- let's say adverts being created, so TV adverts, um, you know, video clips, etc. There's the uh, there may well we may well get to the point where you log on to Facebook and Facebook knows ex- exactly who you are, and it's got a whole bunch of people who want to advertise things, and Facebook on the fly creates a video. That's that's gonna hit your spot specifically <laughs> for the particular pair of shoes that, for example, let's say Nike wants to sell you because they know exactly who you are, yeah. and they know what will work in terms of selling to you. So th- we, we may have models that create adverts on the fly, and that's obviously, you know, that can really also transform things in terms of advertising and selling. So, you know, those are some examples. I think the one more example which I think is also interesting, also just in terms of production. I mean, we've already seen. Uh, predictive modeling or, uh, you know, looking at, for example, big plants where they collect a lot of data and they say uh, where the weak points in the production, so which part of the machine or, uh, you know, chemical process, where is there some issue that might require maintenance? And and so we've already seen predictive maintenance models being used by companies. And I think that as AI gets smarter, we're going to see more and more and more of those sort of applications where you reduce costs, you reduce downtime, and that's also super beneficial. So those are massively large business applications. So just to pick on that, so if you've got an industrial application that you know will need regular maintenance anyway, you can use some of these models to be able to predict that a fault is probably due anytime now. You better go and order the part or everything else that you might need just to, you know because it will go and then that reduces the downtime that, that your process or industrial process would go through so i think that's quite um uh you know it becomes kind of intuitive in solving problems before they actually happen yeah i mean uh, just another one that i think is probably going to affect all of us so you know microsoft's obviously got this partnership with OpenAI. Um, they've announced their co-pilot uh, project, which is essentially embedding AI into every single part of the office suite amongst others, uh, amongst amongst all their different products. And so what's going to happen is, is all of us sitting using spreadsheets every day, PowerPoint uh, presentations every day, Word every day, we're going to have this really interesting intelligence alongside um, the, you know, us using these things, that's, that's probably going to be tuned into the company we work for's data. So that's one of, you know, the things that, mm. that Microsoft will probably be able to do is go to companies and say, your data is going to be super protected. Mm. You're already using my applications. You're already using, you know, maybe even you're even running on Azure as, as mm. the cloud platform for the company. Companies will then upload all the data, sales data, product data, operational data, and you'll be able to sit there in, in the workspace and ask 
very specific questions that help mm. you, you know, put together marketing presentations, put together op op operational reports, all that sort of thing. Um, and that's going to just save tons and tons and tons of time for, for everybody. Um, so, you know, huge potential opportunity in terms of efficiency. Mm. So, you know, very clearly that's going to help a lot. And I think the important thing is, is working on your own data. And the fear today with chat GPT and others is it is using all the data out there uh, and then being able to use your own data be it for an excel or powerpoint or whatever it may be will just be much better and much more easier and certainly from a corporate perspective think about efg here you know it will make it a little, little bit more easier to 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 sort of keep it within the business rather than shoving your data outside to process it and then bring it back in right that's the big risk um, that, it, that it does and I guess it also then emphasise how important if you're going to use these tools that you're already on cloud anyway so it's uh, it, it's just one and the same essentially it's the same thing in terms of you know productivity and and the benefits it will bring over the long term is just absolutely huge so let's talk about the consumer side mm. so we talked about that you know consumer side you know I'm I'm you know looking for my own you know personal digital assistant will, will book the holidays I want, you know, already find out the restaurant I fancy whenever I go to a particular city and book it for me. Um, I guess those are the obvious ones, but where else can you see um, the consumer benefits from this? Yeah, I mean, I think the one that's already become very obvious is just how easy it'll be to learn about anything. Yeah. So you're sitting down with ChatGPT, you can ask it any question yeah. and you can keep going and going and going and it's you just have the ability to learn very, very, very easily. So that's going to be massively beneficial in all sorts of ways, both for you know personal pleasure or for personal development. That's going to be a huge thing, and I think so. That's that's edu I would say education and training. Um, the other thing is is because we are now going to be able to make music, video, and images really easily. Mm -hmm. The barrier to creativity really gets lowered hu hugely because before you'd have to know how to play play a musical instrument, you'd have to know how to use Photoshop. You, you know, there were lots of things that stopped you being creative. Now all you have to have is a good idea. Uh, if you have a good idea, you'll be able to produce something interesting. So that's actually what I think is very exciting for all of us um, because we're going to have a whole lot of good stuff coming coming our way. We'll also probably have a massive amount of bad stuff, and that's the one of the downsides of AI is we're going to have an explosion in content. Yeah. But a lot of people who could never produce before are going to be able to produce good stuff. So I think that's yeah. super interesting. Um, the other area which I think is also really uh, exciting is uh, in gaming. Um, you know, we've already seen some some signs. You know, we've we've got um, a company like Epic Games, with you know owns something called Unreal Engine, which is a, basically a gaming a gaming engine that can produce almost completely real graphics uh, or completely real um, worlds. Um, and I think AI, you know, as AI develops, we're going to have much more interesting uh, inter uh, gaming experiences than we've ever had, created completely on the fly. Mm. Uh, in a way that we've never been able to do before. So, you know, you know so it's going to be a lot of good content coming people's way uh, ways in, in terms of entertainment, etc. I mean, I think the other, the, so that's, I think, the fun side. The other, probably more serious side, but also important is, you know, AI is probably going to allow for um, a big step up in drug discovery. We're going to be able to test different medicines uh, we're going to have AR models learn about what molecules are effective, et cetera. And that's going to really help drug companies produce much better drugs. Um, maybe when you combine that, you know, with 
potentially our you know genetic fingerprints potentially if you add all that data together who knows what sort of health benefits will come from um, from from using ai to try and improve um, health outcomes for people as well as just every day you know if you're feeding your data in your heart rate you know heart rate steps mm, in mm, on your mm. apple watch for example mm. who knows what sort of applications can be created to allow you to ma- manage your health better etc mm. um, so i think yeah there's lots of there're lots of very good good applications coming from a consumer perspective so let's turn now a little bit to the darker side of ai and one of the big debates is around copyright infringement and the fact that you can ask an ai tool to build you a song in the style of xyz uh, and and be able to play it and develop it you know uh, from that um obviously there's a big debate around this issue so that's on one side then you've obviously got the the um photographic side and the video content side which obviously uh, a lot of these things are proprietary and 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 you know s- sit under a copyright how how do you think that that will be overcome because that could be a bit of a problem i mean companies like adobe with their firefly application have already got a big library of of images which allows them to to have an edge but um what about the sort of the run of the mill music in particular the one that's done the headlines is is drake and his song that was actually produced by artificial intelligence but it wasn't him uh and it was produced in the style of him um obviously that created huge noise across the industry it knocked off big gains of some of the share prices of some of these companies that own these data uh these these uh, uh the song libraries because ultimately it could be worthless but you can actually have every song customized to your to, to the way you listen for example or the way you wanted to be listened how do they overcome that <laughs> uh, maybe a difficult question for you but how you know it's not going to be easy and it was interesting cuz drake sending the commentary i read drake was like i don't mind <laughs> because you know i get more popular and notorious and so and so forth everyone knows gets to know me more right so he was actually encouraging of it right probably not his music company <laughs> but uh, how do you feel about stuff like that yeah i mean it's as i said i think the biggest problem is that once you make creation free then the, the amount of stuff created is just going to explode so look there're lots of ways of dealing with this i think at the at the base layer at a long term level countries have to decide what the rules are so some countries are going to say that anything that goes into an ai model that you know has to be recognized you know there's law, there ru- there will be rules around what you can feed in and what you can get out and how you have to treat it so yeah both in terms of you know what you train the model on and then how you label what the model produces mm-hmm. so there definitely rules that are going to you know come out and and we yet to see exactly how that evolves but but people know about this and and it's an issue um i mean i think what's going to happen is you know it's interesting what you said about drake i think you know there's going to there are two things that make something valuable to people like a brand like a big pop star like yeah, drake yeah. and for him he as you said he's very happy to have people use his style of music to promote him because he's probably not only making money from music you know m- many of these stars have multiple they have their own perfume line their own clothing <laughs> yeah, line yeah, yeah, you know yeah. you just have to think of the kardashians they've actually they, you know they're not famous for anything other than being famous yeah. and they make money from a whole bunch of things so yeah. if you if you're that kind of person i'm i'm sure you have no issue with it yeah. Um, I think if you're somebody who's you know created a you, you, let's say you're an artist and you've got a very particular style 
um, that's very distinct. You know, like just if you just go back in time and you think of somebody like Jackson Pollock, one of the U.S. artists, you know, he or you know, he, or Andy Warhol, you know, very very distinct style. So if somebody just comes along along and, and massively recreates that style, they dilute you, mm-hmm. um, and that might be an issue. So we have we might have to think about rules around, you know, um, you know how that works. Now it's interesting that you ma- mentioned when I think about it. I mean, it's one of the potential uses for something like NFTs because the one thing we heard a couple of months back or you know, almost a year back was about how you could create very unique signatures and digital content mm-hmm. that would that would link it would make mm-hmm. it make something absolutely unique. Mm-hmm. So perhaps we're now going to see the actual application yes, for that sort of crypto right. technology right. to label things as okay, this is unique, this was created this way, and yeah. then yeah. therefore mm-hmm. it has value. So yeah. I think that you know, as I said in the beginning, I mean, this is an exact uh, case in point why working out who's going to win and the application layer is so hard because yeah, yeah. we don't know the rules. No, we don't right. know the rules yet. Yeah. No, no, your NFT point is is a is is a very valuable one because that is your digital signature and, and authenticity. So in a world of AI, when you can replicate something in the same style a thousand times, it won't be authentic and it won't actually would be worthless where the authentic thing may be worth something. Uh, certainly that's a problem. Now, last thing we want to tackle on the AI and the uh, challenge is the, the worry, the fear that everyone has that robots will take over <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, we'll have, you know, Terminator type uh, you know, robots, you know, d- turning on against human beings. Um, <laughs> that is obviously the big fear that everybody has. Um, how realistic is that? Hmm, it's a hard question. Um, oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 it's a good question. It's a very important question. I think the thing is, is that I think the way to think about this is that all of us have been primed psychologically by a whole series of very dystopian sci-fi movies where this always happens. Yeah. Um, and lots of things in sci-fi movies, you know, come true. Um, but not everything does. So yes, it's a good good idea to be worried. Uh, nobody's doing this with their eyes closed. If you listen to everybody who's involved in AI, top of the agenda is safety, mm. um, you know, regulation. So and you know, I think that although there's the potential for things to go wrong, there's a very high probability that there will be guardrails in place. Mm. I don't think we're going to connect, you know, the nuclear the nuclear launch button with, with ChatGPT anytime <laughs> soon. Um, I mean, we, we do know that the military's, you know, is thinking about how to use AI in a, in a, in a military context. Um, but, you know, military stuff's dangerous, but if it's, only, if it's controlled by, you know, sovereign governments that behave themselves you know, then it's less dangerous. You know, so it depends. De- depends who really gets the, the the power and control over these things. So, but yes, it's a risk. Um, but I mean, I don't think it's a reason to to stop the development of it. Mm. Um, this, as I've you know, we've been talking about, there's so much potential positive. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't stop developing technology just because there's a risk. You l- you work out how to manage it, mm. and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to w- learn how to manage this risk. Mm. We're super aware of it right from the start. Mm. I think that's quite important. Whereas with the internet, we weren't necessarily aware. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite an important distinction. Um, so let's move on to the little segment we said we'll do at the end was around the Vision Pro. So this is a new product um, similar to the Oculus that, that uh, Facebook now Meta created, which is creating virtual reality. In this case, it's augmented reality, but actually virtual reality, as we'll discuss in a second. Obviously, we've had a debate about you know the price three and a half thousand dollars so it's not really going to be uh affordable from for for most people uh by a long shot obviously 
as one would expect, the cost will come down over time. So uh, as technology enhances and so on and so forth. So wouldn't expect the cost to necessarily come down. But let's talk about some of the features of, of, of Vision Pro, which make it very unique relative to some of the other um, you, know, you know, virtual reality headsets that we've seen out there. Yeah, I mean, I think the, when, I, you know, when I saw what they'd announced, I think the thing that struck me as really, really innovative and, and interesting and probably the key reason why this will work long run is the fact that it mixes AR and VR. So you can, you can put this set of goggles on and it's got cameras in it that essentially replicate the real world on two small screens that you look at. And so you can see everything that's around you and then to a greater or lesser extent, you can either make that a big combination of real and virtual or completely virtual. So you could put the goggles on and say, you know, put me in a meadow of flowers on the top of the Alps and it could do that. Or you could say, just pop up a small window in front of me and let me sit in my living room and watch my children mm-hmm. play while I read in that window at the same time. So that's a, a really innovative um, advance because most of the other headsets we've ever we, we've actually seen have either been have pretty much been just completely virtual reality, mm-hmm. and it was always a big question. I mean, how many people want to spend their a large amount of time completely in virtual reality? And I think this combination of AR and VR makes it much more compelling. I mean, certainly from my own perspective, when I think about what something like this could do for me, um, you know, I spent a lot of a lot of my time as a fund manager looking at spreadsheets, reading things. Um, and I'm always, I've always been frustrated by the amount of screen space I have. And especially now in this new world of work from home, work from the office or work while you're traveling, you know, for me, it would be incredibly attractive to put, to, to put a pair of goggles on and have infinite screen space in front of me. I could sit on a plane and work as if I was at my desk. I can, you know, I can work anywhere um, and, and, and be productive uh, with this just, you know, a set of goggles and an, and an iPhone potentially. Um, so that, that's, you know, that, that would be very beneficial to me. And I mean, when I look at some of the other applications that they're talking about, I think the thing that was really amazing, they, they showed how they could, you could use new, a new form of video, 3d video that is projected into the goggles to watch things like sports matches. Mm. So you, you, and there you'd want to be pretty virtual. You'd want to feel like you're in the middle of the football game, Mm. you know, and it would be a completely different experience uh, watching football or other sports. And I can see many, 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 many people saying, yeah, why would I spend three and a half thousand on my large 50, 50 inch screen at home? I'll just spend three and a half thousand on a, on a pair of goggles and I'll have a far better experience. So, yeah, I think it's a very interesting product. Yeah. And I think one of the other sort of key elements to this is anyone who's used virtual reality headsets, you know, you get this notion of nausea and not particularly nice experience. But what's different about this technology is that it runs at speeds where the human mind um, can't pick that that up, Mm -hmm. that that speed lagging uh, up. So... The experience you have is this, as if you're in real life, uh, and that's a huge advance advancement compared to previous technologies. And again, we were discussing about this: is that Apple's able to do that because it's got its own um, technology, its own um, network, and so the speed it's got its own chips, it's got its own hardware application, it's got everything is built in. So, so the most important thing about uh, success of a, a <coughs> excuse me AR or VR headset is going to be the speed at which you're able to transmit the information, because any lag will mean that you just start to feel sick after a while and you mm-hmm. won't be able to use it for very long at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's going to be 
you know, just quite amazing and why, you know, uh, uh, Apple's certainly is one of the best hardware makers uh, out there, certainly we know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why when you think about what, you know, the, the Oculus versus this new product, mm. because Apple has that full stack, you know, they've, they've actually shown exactly what you said, which is that it's a very pleasant experience relative to the other one. Mm. I mean, I think, to, you know, one of the big barriers of adoption here is definitely going to be price. Most people will not lay out, you know, $3,500 for something. Apple knows that. They're only going to try and sell about a million of these. But the the point of this is that once you you develop a, a product like this and you put it out into the world, then what actually happens as a company, you learn how people use it and you start optimizing it differently. You also start producing things at scale. You produce the tiny screens inside at scale, which are brand new, brand new technology. And you slowly start getting the cost base down and the, and the application more and more refined. And then you start getting a big wave of, of higher adoption as, as you've actually got a killer app or killer, killer piece of hardware um, that you develop. So there's a very high probability that although upfront it looks like it won't be a big bang immediately, there's, there's a good chance that in 10 years' time we look at something like this and think, wow, you know, it transformed the way we interact with uh, with computing. In fact, you know, Apple's relabeled this it's as spatial computing, as a whole new era. Yeah, yeah. Well, the ver- AR, they've avoided AR, VR yeah. terminology. Yeah. They've just called it spatial computing, yeah. 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 And I, I think that's quite important because, like we were just discussing, the um, the benefit of having the headset is that you don't need your, you know, a, a PC screen, right? You don't need it. You can actually do all of your work, all your applications in the air <laughs> with little flicks and, and various other things. So, um, you know, the where this ultimately goes, you can see a world where you actually don't need a, um, a, a PC screen. Um, you can be busily... You wouldn't need necessarily a keyboard because you can tap away, um, write something up on on a table, and it would just recognised as if as if it's a keyboard. Um, and if you think in those terms, because you spend uh, maybe, maybe you don't spend three and a half thousand on on a, you know, three screens or whatever, you probably spend maybe two thousand, two and a half thousand maybe. So when you start building that cost and say, well, actually, I don't need a PC screen, you actually start to do it. And, and our, it reminds me of the early days of, of Apple, uh, uh, of the iPhone, where you were like, oh, God, this is silly, stupidly expensive, right? We weren't used to it because we were like, okay, this is, no one pays this much because it was a very different distribution model. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then you suddenly work out that I can do all these applications, I can I don't need a camera anymore. I don't need all these other things. And so the price is actually reasonable. So when you think of it in those terms, maybe three and a half thousand is too much. But if it came to a price point where it was say 2000 or 1750 or something like that, and you say, actually, you don't need your PC screens anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all you have to have is your, your, your iPhone and a Vision Pro uh, or whatever it would be called by then. Um, and you don't need a PC. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is a highly deflationary, um, certainly for the whole food chain that is built around. Um, and you know, to me, I think that's you know that's you know one of the sort of key things that I think people will suddenly realise. I said three and a half is too much, but 
2000. At the moment, they're probably bulk. But when they see is what it can replace, then it looks, starts to look value for money, right? So, and I think that's the, that's the sort of key thing for me is that how, you know, how things could evolve and, and, uh, and change. And quite frankly, if you're a huge sports fanatic and, you know, and you have, I don't know, if you're a basketball fan, you have courtside seats for every single, you know, NBA match. Um, you're, I mean, I mean, you pay tens, hundreds of thousands for that luxury, right? And having it for three and a half thousand is probably quite cheap. Uh, if you think it in those terms, no, I think that's right. I think the the the, the challenging part's going to be, you know, what happens to all of us when we wear our goggles as much as we yeah, might wear our goggles? Because yeah. right now, I mean, we spend so much time looking at the little black square mirror in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we walk down the street, we don't see other people. We mm-hmm. we consumed by it. So you know, what's going to happen when all of us are in those goggles? That's the big question. There's going to be <laughs> big downsides for us uh, of for human interaction. So uh, I expect the other prediction we can make is, you know, birth rates drop, (laughs) 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 marriage as a concept disappears, you know, all of these sort of, you know, all these extra things that come along with with, uh, social interaction, uh, you know, disappears as well. But, uh, you know, I hope not. Um, anyway, John, thank you very much for uh, for uh, walking us through that. I thought it was super interesting. Obviously, it's a huge topic at the moment, uh, and, I, and I hope uh, listeners found it useful to try and break it down into more sort of bite size, and obviously a little nugget on on, on the Vision Pro at the end uh, as well. Uh, so with that, uh, we'll stop there, and uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. <laughs>